0: Chapter one Part two of the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin This Librifox recording is in the public domain recorded by Michael Armenta Principles of Selection Anciently Followed and Their Effects Let us now briefly consider the steps by which domestic races have been produced, either from one or from several allied species. Some effect may be attributed to the direct and definite action of the external conditions of life, and some to habit, but he would be a bold man who would account by such agencies for the differences between a dray and racehorse, a greyhound and bloodhound, a carrier and tumbler-pigeon. One of the most remarkable features in our domesticated races is that we see in them adaptation, not, indeed, to the animal's or plant's own good, but to man's use, or fancy. Some variations useful to him have probably arisen suddenly, or by one step. Many botanists, for instance, believe that the fuller's teasel, with its hooks, which cannot be rivalled by any mechanical contrivance, is only a variety of the wild tipsacus and this amount of change may have suddenly arisen in a seedling so it has probably been with the turnspit dog and this is known to have been the case with the Aincon sheep but when we compare the dray-horse and race-horse the dromedary and camel the various breeds of sheep fitted either for cultivated land or mountain pasture with the wool of one breed good for one purpose and that of another breed for another purpose when we compare the many breeds of dogs each good for man in different ways when we compare the game-cock so pertinacious in battle with other breeds so little quarrelsome with quote, everlasting lairs which never desire to sit and with the bantam so small and elegant when we compare the host of agricultural culinary orchard and flower-garden races of plants most useful to man at different seasons and for different purposes or so beautiful in his eyes we must i think look further than to mere variability we cannot suppose that all the breeds were suddenly produced as perfect and as useful as we now see them indeed in many cases we know that this has not been their history the key is man's power of accumulative selection. Nature gives successive variations. Man adds them up in certain directions useful to him. In this sense he may be said to have made for himself useful breeds. The great power of this principle of selection is not hypothetical. It is certain that several of our eminent breeders have even within a single lifetime, modified to a large extent their breeds of cattle and sheep. In order fully to realise what they have done, it is almost necessary to read several of the many treatises devoted to this subject, and to inspect the animals. Breeders habitually speak of an animal's organisation as something plastic, which they can model almost as they please. If I had space, I could quote numerous passages to this effect hewitt who was probably better acquainted with the works of agriculturists than almost any other individual and who was himself a very good judge of animals speaks of the principle of selection as quote, that which enables the agriculturist not only to modify the character of his flock but to change it altogether it is the magician's wand, by means of which he may summon into life whatever form and mould he pleases. Lord Somerville, speaking of what breeders have done for sheep, says, quote, it would seem as if they had chalked out upon a wall a form perfect in itself, and then had given it existence. In Saxony, THE IMPORTANCE OF THE PRINCIPLE OF SELECTION IN REGARD TO MERINO SHEEP IS SO FULLY RECOGNIZED THAT MEN FOLLOW IT AS A TRADE. THE SHEEP ARE PLACED ON A TABLE AND ARE STUDIED, LIKE A PICTURE BY A connoisseur. THIS IS DONE THREE TIMES AT INTERVALS OF MONTHS, AND THE SHEEP ARE EACH TIME MARKED AND CLASSED, SO THAT THE VERY BEST MAY ULTIMATELY BE SELECTED FOR BREEDING. What English breeders have actually effected is proved by the enormous prices given for animals with a good pedigree, and these have been exported to almost every quarter of the world. The improvement is by no means generally due to crossing different breeds. All the best breeders are strongly opposed to this practice, except sometimes among closely allied sub-breeds and when a cross has been made, the closest selection is far more indispensable even than in ordinary cases. If selection consisted merely in separating some very distinct variety and breeding from it, the principle would be so obvious as hardly to be worth notice, but its importance consists in the great effect produced by the accumulation in one direction during successive generations of differences absolutely inappreciable, by an uneducated eye, differences which I, for one, have vainly attempted to appreciate. Not one man in a thousand has accuracy of eye and judgment sufficient to become an eminent breeder. If gifted with these qualities, and he studies his subject for years, and devotes his lifetime to it, with indomitable perseverance he will succeed, and may make great improvements if he wants any of these qualities he will assuredly fail few would readily believe in the natural capacity and years of practice requisite to become even a skilful pigeon fancier the same principles are followed by horticulturists but the variations are here often more abrupt no one supposes that our choicest productions have been produced by a single variation from the aboriginal stock we have proofs that this is not so in several cases in which exact records have been kept thus to give a very trifling instance the steadily increasing size of the common gooseberry may be quoted we see an astonishing improvement in many florists flowers when the flowers of the present day are compared with drawings made only twenty or thirty years ago when a race of plants is once pretty well established the seed raisers do not pick out the best plants, but merely go over their seed-beds and pull up the, quote, rogues, end quote, as they call the plants that deviate from the proper standard. With animals, this kind of selection is, in fact, likewise followed, for hardly anyone is so careless as to breed from his worst animals. In regard to plants, there is another means of observing the accumulated effects of selection, namely, by comparing the diversity of flowers in the different varieties of the same species in the flower-garden, the diversity of leaves, pots, or tubers, or whatever part is valued, in the kitchen-garden, in comparison with the flowers of the same varieties, and the diversity of fruit of the same species in the orchard, in comparison with the leaves and flowers of the same set of varieties. See how different the leaves of the cabbage are, and how extremely alike the flowers, how unlike the flowers of the heartseas are, and how alike the leaves, how much the fruit of the different kinds of gooseberries differ in size, colour, shape, and hairiness, and yet the flowers present very slight differences.' it is not that the varieties which differ largely in some one point do not differ at all in other points this is hardly ever i speak after careful observation perhaps never the case the law of correlated variation the importance of which should never be overlooked will ensure some difference but as a general rule it cannot be doubted that the continuing selection of slight variations either in the leaves the flowers or the fruit will produce races differing from each other chiefly in these characters it may be objected that the principle of selection has been reduced to methodical practice for scarcely more than three-quarters of a century it has certainly been more attended to of late years and many treatises have been published on the subject and the result has been in a corresponding degree rapid and important but it is very far from true that the principle is a modern discovery i could give several references to works of high antiquity in which the full importance of the principle is acknowledged in rude and barbarous periods of english history choice animals were often imported and laws were passed to prevent their exportation the destruction of horses under a certain size was ordered and this may be compared to the roguing of plants by nurserymen the principle of selection i find distinctly given in an ancient chinese encyclopaedia explicit rules are laid down by some of the roman classical writers from passages in genesis it is clear that the colour of domestic animals was at that early period attended to savages now sometimes cross their dogs with wild canine animals to improve the breed and they formerly did so as is attested by passages in pliny the savages in south africa match their draught cattle by colour as do some of the eskimo their teams of dogs livingstone states that good domestic breeds are highly valued by the negroes in the interior of africa who have not associated with europeans some of these facts do not show actual selection but they show that the breeding of domestic animals was carefully attended to in ancient times and is now attended to by the lowest savages it would indeed have been a strange fact had attention not been paid to breeding for the inheritance of good and bad qualities is so obvious unconscious selection at the present time eminent breeders try by methodical selection with a distinct object in view to make a new strain or subbreed superior to anything of the kind in the country but for our purpose a form of selection which may be called unconscious and which result from every one trying to possess and breed from the best individual animals is more important thus a man who intends keeping pointers naturally tries to get as good dogs as he can and afterwards breeds from his own best dogs but he has no wish or expectation of permanently altering the breed nevertheless we may infer that this process continued during centuries would improve and modify any breed in the same way as bakewell collins etc., by this very same process only carried on more methodically did greatly modify even during their lifetimes the forms and qualities of their cattle slow and insensible changes of this kind could never be recognised unless actual measurements or careful drawings of the breeds in question have been made long ago which may serve for comparison in some cases however unchanged or but little changed individuals of the same breed exist in less civilised districts where the breed has been less improved there is reason to believe that king charles spaniel has been unconsciously modified to a large extent since the time of that monarch some highly competent authorities are convinced that the setter is directly derived from the spaniel and has probably been slowly altered from it it is known that the english pointer has been greatly changed within the last century and in this case the change has it is believed been chiefly affected by crosses with the foxhound but what concerns us is that the change has been effected unconsciously and gradually and yet so effectually that though the old spanish pointer certainly came from spain mr borrow has not seen as i am informed by him any native dog in spain like our pointer by a similar process of selection and by careful training english race-horses have come to surpass in fleetness and size the parent arabs so that the latter by the regulations for the Godwood races are favoured in the weights which they carry lord spencer and others have shown how the cattle of england have increased in weight compared with the stock formerly kept in this country by comparing the accounts given in various old treatises of the former and present state of carrier and tumbler pigeons in britain india and persia we can trace the stages through which they have insensibly passed and come to differ so greatly from the rock pigeon you add gives an excellent illustration of the effects of a course of selection which may be considered as unconscious in so far that the breeders could never have expected or even wished to produce the result which ensued namely the production of the distinct strains the two flocks of leicester sheep kept by mr puckley and mr burgess as mr Ewitt remarks quote, have been purely bred from the original stock of mr bakewell for upwards of fifty years there is not a suspicion existing in the mind of any one at all acquainted with the subject that the owner of either of them has deviated in any one instance from the pure blood of mr bakewell's flock and yet the difference between the sheep possessed by these two gentlemen is so great that they have the appearance of being quite distinct varieties End quote if there exist savages so barbarous as never to think of the inherited character of the offspring of their domestic animals yet any one animal particularly useful to them for a special purpose would be carefully preserved during famines and other accidents to which savages are so liable and such choice animals would thus generally leave more offspring than the inferior ones so that in this case there would be a kind of unconscious selection going on we see the value set on animals even by the barbarians of tierra del fuego by their killing and devouring their old women in times of dearth as of less value than their dogs in plants the same gradual process of improvement through the occasional preservation of the best individuals whether or not sufficiently distinct to be ranked at their first appearance as distinct varieties and whether or not two or more species of races have become blended together by crossing may plainly be recognised in the increased size and beauty which we now see in the varieties of the heartsease, rose pelargonium dahlia and other plants when compared with the older varieties or with their parent stocks no one would ever expect to get a first-rate heartsease or dahlia from the seed of a wild plant no one would expect to raise a first-rate melting pear from the seed of a wild pear though he might succeed from a poor seedling growing wild if it had come from a garden stock the pear though cultivated in classical times appears from pliny's description to have been a fruit of very inferior quality i have seen great surprise expressed in horticultural works at the wonderful skill of gardeners in having produced such splendid results from such poor materials. But the art has been simple, and as far as the final result is concerned, has been followed almost unconsciously. It has consisted in always cultivating the best-known variety, sowing its seeds, and when a slighter better variety chanced to appear, selecting it, and so onwards but the gardeners of the classical period, who cultivated the best pears which they could procure, never thought what splendid fruit we should eat, though we owe our excellent fruit in some small degree to their having naturally chosen and preserved the best varieties they could anywhere find. A large amount of change, thus slowly and unconsciously accumulated, explains, as I believe the well-known fact that in a number of cases we cannot recognize, and therefore do not know, the wild parent-stocks of the plants which have been longest cultivated in our flower and kitchen-gardens. If it has taken centuries or thousands of years to improve or modify most of our plants up to their present standard of usefulness to man, we can understand how it is that neither Australia, the Cape of Good Hope, nor any other region inhabited by quite uncivilised men has afforded us a single plant worth culture it is not that these countries so rich in species do not by a strange chance possess the aboriginal stocks of any useful plants but that the native plants have not been improved by continued selection up to a standard of perfection comparable with that acquired by the plants in countries anciently civilised in regard to the domestic animals kept by uncivilized man it should not be overlooked that they almost always have to struggle for their own food at least during certain seasons and in two countries very differently circumstanced individuals of the same species having slightly different constitutions or structure would often succeed better in one country than in the other and thus by a process of quote, natural selection quote, as will hereafter be more fully explained two sub-breeds might be formed this perhaps partly explains why the varieties kept by savages as has been remarked by some authors have more of the character of the true species than the varieties kept in civilised countries on the view here given of the important part which selection by man has played it becomes at once obvious how it is that our domestic races show adaptation in their structure or in their habits to man's wants or fancies we can i think further understand the frequently abnormal character of our domestic races and likewise their differences being so great in external characters and relatively so slight in internal parts or organs. Man can hardly select, or only with much difficulty, any deviation of structure excepting such as externally visible, and indeed he rarely cares for what is internal. He can never act by selection, excepting on variations, which are first given to him in some slight degree by nature. No man would ever try to make a fantail till he saw a pigeon with the tail developed in some slight degree in an unusual manner or a powder. till he saw a pigeon with a crop of somewhat unusual size and the more abnormal or unusual any character was when it first appeared the more likely it would be to catch his attention but to use such an expression as trying to make a fantail is i have no doubt in most cases utterly incorrect the man who first selected a pigeon with a slightly larger tail never dreamed what the descendants of that pigeon would become through long, continued, partly unconscious and partly methodical selection. Perhaps the parent birds of all fantails had only fourteen tail feathers, somewhat expanded, like the present Java fantail, or like individuals of other and distinct breeds, in which as many as seventeen tail feathers have been counted perhaps the first powder-pigeon did not inflate its crop much more than the turbot now does the upper part of its esophagus a habit which is disregarded by all fanciers as it is not one of the points of the breed nor let it be thought that some great deviation of structure would be necessary to catch the fancier's eye he perceives extremely small differences and it is in human nature to value any novelty however slight in one's own possession nor must the value which would formerly have been set on any slight differences in the individuals of the same species be judged of by the value which is now set on them after several breeds have fairly been established it is known that with pigeons many slight variations now occasionally appear but these are rejected as faults or deviations from the standard of perfection in each breed the common goose has not given rise to any marked varieties hence the toulouse and the common breed which differ only in colour that most fleeting of characters have lately been exhibited as distinct at our poultry shows these views appear to explain what has sometimes been noticed namely that we know hardly anything about the origin or history of any of our domestic breeds but in fact a breed like the dialect of a language can hardly be said to have a distinct origin a man preserves and breeds from an individual with some slight deviation of structure or takes more care than usual in matching his best animals and thus improves them and the improved animals slowly spread in the immediate neighbourhood but they will as yet hardly have a distinct name and from being only slightly valued their history will have been disregarded when further improved by the same slow and gradual process they will spread more widely and will be recognised as something distinct and variable and will then probably receive a provincial name in semi-civilised countries with little free communication the spreading of a new sub-breed will be a slow process as soon as the points of value are once acknowledged the principle as i have called it of unconscious selection will always tend perhaps more at one period than at another as the breed rises or falls in fashion perhaps more in one district than in another according to the state of civilization of the inhabitants slowly to add to the characteristic features of the breed whatever they may be but the chance will be infinitely small of any record having been preserved of such slow, varying, and insensible changes. Circumstances Favorable to Man's Power of Selection I will now say a few words on the circumstances, favorable, or the reverse, to man's power of selection. A high degree of variability is obviously favorable as freely giving the materials for selection to work on not that mere individual differences are not amply sufficient with extreme care to allow of the accumulation of a large amount of modification in almost any desired direction but as variations manifestly useful or pleasing to man appear only occasionally the chance of their appearance will be much increased by a large number of individuals being kept hence number is of the highest importance for success on this principle, Marshall formerly remarked with respect to the sheep of part of Yorkshire, as they generally belong to poor people and are mostly in small lots, they can never be improved. On the other hand, nurserymen from keeping large stocks of the same plant, are generally far more successful than amateurs in raising new and valuable varieties. A large number of individuals of an animal or plant can be reared only where the conditions for its propagation are favourable. When the individuals are scanty, all will be allowed to breed, whatever their quality might be, and this will effectually prevent selection. But probably the most important element is that the animal or plant should be so highly valued by man that the closest attention is paid to even the slightest deviations in its qualities or structures unless such attention be paid nothing can be effected i have seen it gravely remarked that it was most fortunate that the strawberry began to vary just when gardeners began to attend to this plant no doubt the strawberry had always varied since it was cultivated but the slight varieties had been neglected. As soon, however, as gardeners picked out individual plants with slightly larger, earlier, or better fruit, and raised seedlings from them, and again picked out the best seedlings and bred from them, then, with some aid by crossing distinct species, those many admirable varieties of the strawberry were raised, which have appeared during the last half-century with animals facility in preventing crosses is an important element in the formation of new races at least in a country which is already stocked with other races in this respect enclosure of the land plays a part wandering savages or the inhabitants of open plains rarely possess more than one breed of the same species pigeons can be mated for life and this is a great convenience to the fancier for thus many races may be improved and kept true, though mingled in the same aviary, and this circumstance must have largely favoured the formation of new breeds. Pigeons, I may add, can be propagated in great numbers, and at a very quick rate, and inferior birds may be freely rejected, as when killed they serve for food. On the other hand, cats— from their nocturnal rambling habits cannot be easily matched, and, although so much valued by women and children, we rarely see a distinct breed long kept up. Such breeds, as we do sometimes see, are almost always imported from some other country. Although I do not doubt that some domestic animals vary less than others, yet the rarity or absence of distinct breeds of the cat, the donkey, peacock goose etc may be attributed in main part to selection not having been brought into play and cats from the difficulty in pairing them and donkeys from only a few being kept by poor people and little attention paid to their breeding for recently in certain parts of spain and of the united states this animal has been surprisingly modified and improved by careful selection in peacocks from not being very easily reared and a large stock not kept, in geese from being valuable only for two purposes—food and feathers, and more especially from no pleasure having been felt in the display of distinct breeds. But the goose, under the conditions to which it is exposed, when domesticated, seems to have a singularly inflexible organization— Though it is varied to a slight extent, as I have elsewhere described, some authors have maintained that the amount of variation in our domestic productions is soon reached and can never afterward be exceeded. It would be somewhat rash to assert that the limit has been attained in any one case, for almost all our animals and plants have been greatly improved in many ways within a recent period, and this implies variation it would be equally rash to assert that characters now increased to their utmost limit could not, after remaining fixed for many centuries, again vary under new conditions of life. No doubt, as Mr. Wallace has remarked with very much truth, a limit will be at last reached. For instance, there must be a limit to the fleetness of any terrestrial animal, as this will be determined by the friction to be overcome the weight of the body to be carried and the power of contraction in the muscular fibres but what concerns us is that the domestic varieties of the same species differ from each other in almost every character which man has attended to and selected more than do the distinct species of the same genera isidrois jeffois saint hilaire has proved this in regard to size and so it is with colour and probably with length of hair with respect to fleetness which depends on many bodily characters eclipse was far fleeter and a dray-horse is comparably stronger than any two natural species belonging to the same genus so with plants the seed of the different varieties of the bean or maize probably differ more in size than do the seeds of the distinct species in any one genus in the same two families the same remark holds good in regard to the fruit of the several varieties of the plum and still more strongly with the melon as well as in many other analogous cases to sum up on the origin of our domestic races of animals and plants changed conditions of life are of the highest importance in causing variability both by acting directly on the organization and indirectly by affecting the reproductive system. It is not probable that variability is an inherent and necessary contingent under all circumstances. The greater or less force of inheritance and reversion determine whether variations shall endure. Variability is governed by many unknown laws, of which Correlated growth is probably the most important. Something, but how much we do not know, may be attributed to the definite action of the conditions of life. Some, perhaps, a great effect may be attributed to the increased use or disuse of parts. The final result is thus rendered infinitely complex. In some cases the intercrossing of aboriginally distinct species appears to have played an important part in the origin of our breeds. When several breeds have once been formed in any country, their occasional intercrossing, with the aid of selection, has, no doubt, largely aided in the formation of new sub-breeds. But the importance of crossing has been much exaggerated, both in regard to animals and to those plants which are propagated by seeds with plants which are temporarily propagated by cuttings, buds, etc., the importance of crossing is immense, for the cultivator may here disregard the extreme variability both of hybrids and of mongrels, and the sterility of hybrids. But plants not propagated by seed are of little importance to us, for their endurance is only temporary. Over all, these causes of change, the accumulative action of selection, whether applied methodically and quickly or unconsciously and slowly but more efficiently, seems to have been the predominant power. End of chapter One, Part Two.